Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Ben Bartels, and I am back with episode five of Cage Talk, the number one UFC-related podcast in FHN. Mm-hmm. All right. I am recording this as of February 23rd. UFC 298 has wrapped up a couple days ago, and I just want to go over some key notes and details from the card. All right, let's start off with that main event from UFC 298, Volkanovski versus Taporia. I did it. I went undefeated for my picks for this card. Six and six for the picks I publicly said on the podcast and eight for eight for last minute predictions that you're just going to really have to take my word on. But I'm too good at this. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just I'm too good at this. Uh, anyway, I see the edits, the sad edits of Volkanovski losing to Ilya Taporia via Vicious right hand, and the edits comparing Taporia to Conor McGregor with how similar their careers have been. I mean, it's uncanny how similar Taporia has been to the biggest star of the UFC. They were both on, I think, 15 fight win streaks going into their featherweight title bouts, fighting the greatest featherweight of all time at that time. They were both 27 when they fought for the belt, and they both talked loads of trash before they took the champ's belt at the pre-fight press conference. Ilya Taporia, I think, is just shaping up after this win to be the next Conor McGregor. I think, yeah, it's a little bit cliche, but he will be the biggest star in the UFC come 2024. I mean, I think he might already be the biggest star. Who knows? He has a lot of followers. And, you know, maybe I'd join you guys in being sad about Volk losing if I didn't call it. I called it. No one else, when I talked to them, believed me when I said Taporia by early knockout. And look what happened. Taporia, in the first round, took uh, time to gauge his distance against the rangy Volk, who established, and uh, he did this by establishing his leg kicks, which he had a lot of success with. And then by the second round, he had it down. He shoots a four or five punch combination, trapping Volk against the cage with his amazing footwork and boxing, and one right hand was all it took. Volk... Volkanovski, in my opinion, should wait at least six months after this knockout. I mean, he didn't learn his lesson against Islam and returned quick for this fight and showed up with bad durability, getting knocked out in the second round. Volkanovski's never had the best chin, but it really showed here. I do think whenever Volk comes back, though, he should be fighting for the title off merit alone, but I don't think Taporia, who currently holds the title, should be fighting Volkanovski next. I think in the meantime, he should stay active and fight Either a Holloway, if he's ready after Gaethje early enough, which I don't think he will be, or in my opinion, realistically, if the UFC wants to do this, he should fight Evloev. Evloev is another undefeated contender. Someone's always got to go. You know how the UFC loves to uh, string that narrative along when they pitch two undefeated fighters together. Uh, some more keynotes from this fight. Volk's chin is just gone, and I stand by that. I mean, Taporia is paving a way for the new generation of the featherweight division future of the division is looking pretty bright, in my opinion, and I think it's only going to get better from here, especially since Taporia hasn't really fought any of the top guys, so a lot of these matchups are really interesting now against Holloway, against Ortega, Yair, uh, Evloev, Ar Arnold Allen, if he can come back even. UFC featherweight is looking very bright after that win last night. <laughs> On to the next fight. Uh, the co-main event, Paulo Costa versus Robert Whitaker. From a technique standpoint, this is the best I've ever seen Paulo Costa look. I was worried for for him coming back so quickly after such a long layoff, but he showed up in this fight looking like a prime Edson Bar Barboza with that spinning heel kick he landed on Robert Whitaker at the end of the first round. How Whitaker didn't fall from that shot is beyond me, especially when Whitaker's chin has always been his weakest part of his game. Whitaker won, sure, he did his thing, pitter-patter from the outside, mixed with blitzes he's known for, and some really good leg kicks, I will admit that. But generally, 
I was more shocked and impressed and excited for the future of Paulo the Chad Costa. <laughs> now, assuming Paulo Costa stays active, give him a Roman Delize or uh, Brendan Allen. That makes sense. Those are some exciting fights. I see getting Paulo back into the win column, which is where we all love to see Paulo Costa, let's be honest. Now, for Whitaker, in my opinion, he's the third best middleweight of all time. Give him a Cannoneer rematch. He beat Cannoneer the first time at UFC, I don't know, it was the one with Khabib and Gaethje. He beat Cannoneer pretty easily there, but Cannoneer showed some really good fight, even stunning Robert, which seems to be a uh, tendency with Robert's fights. <laughs> um, I don't know. Whitaker's kind of in a tricky spot where he's kind of fought everybody and shown his skill ceiling, I would say, but he's really good and could maybe work his way to another title shot someday. I don't think he's that old. I think he's early thirties, which I mean is not a bad place to be if when you're in Robert's shoes, he's got a, he's got a lot of uh, places and people to fight that make a lot of sense onto the featured, the third fight of the card. I got Ian Gary versus Jeff Neal. You know, I was so excited for this fight, but man, was this a snoozer. I mean, I did call it, though. I said Gary would keep his range and pitter-patter at Jeff Neal and win over counter shots, and what do you know? That's exactly what happened. Initially, I scored, like, initially watching it live, I scored it for Jeff Neal, but looking back, Ian Gary won this fight, uh, sadly, I would say, <laughs> and it seemed like this is the fighter he's going to be, an Adesanya-like who stays out on the outside and points fights his way to boarding decisions. I do see him losing to upper echelon though in the division. And I might, and might I mention uh, the UFC knew dang well what they were doing by putting uh, or cutting to Ian Gary's wife numerous times during that fight. I see what you're doing, Dana. I see you. You're not very plain. You're not playing it very subtle. I, I'll say that much. If you want to learn more about what I'm talking about, search up Ian Gary's, uh, very public private life it's uh i don't know it's very weird now i think ian gary should probably keep fighting up as he's still undefeated i would say i mean he did call out colby covington for the co-main event of that mcgregor chandler card and that makes a lot of sense ian gary's becoming a star but not for the right reasons this could actually be good for covington too because i know covington doesn't really like taking these contender matchups but it, this is the only fight where people would be rooting for Colby Covington. So I think it makes sense for both fighters. That would probably be, though, the most toxic buildup to a fight ever. <laughs> um, and for, near, for Neil, give him... Ah, uh, man, everyone's booked up. I mean, I don't know. I, Kevin Holland, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure they fought each other. No, wait, they did. Kevin uh, Holland and Jeff Neal fought each other when they were both amateurs. And I forget who won that, but that's a good storyline. So I think Jeff Neal should fight... Uh, Kevin Holland. I mean, Jeff Neal is like a great fighter, amazing boxing power, all that. He just struggles with the longer, ragier guys like Ian Gary, like Shavkat Rakhmanov, like Neil Magny. I mean, he just, if you are able, if you stand in front of Jeff Neal for long enough and give him time to land his power shots, he's dangerous. He's really good. Um, on to the next fight. This was my third most anticipated fight of the card. Marab Devashvili versus Henry Cejudo. This was depressing. <laughs> I'm not going to lie after this fight happened. I like Cejudo. Maybe I'm one of the few people that do like Cejudo. He's a former double champ, and he just got... When he got put against Marab, he looked like he had no business being in there. Marab tore Henry Cejudo to pieces 
for two rounds, and it was kind of sad. I'm not going to lie. Cejudo starts off strong with that strong left hook and amazing movement, keeping the fight standing where he would succeed. He has the better stand-up of the two and won the first round off movement and that one big left hook early in the round that stunned Marab. Marab has a weakness to that left hook, I've noticed. He kind of blitzes in, and when he does, he leaves his right side open. Uh, so people like Marlon Moraes and like Henry Cejudo can counter him and hurt him badly. I think if he fights a Sean O'Malley or Marlon Vera, whoever wins that fight in March, because he probably deserves a title shot, let's be honest. I think he most likely wins that fight. We're probably, I mean, with Marab, we're probably looking at the best Bantamweight in the world, even without the title. But if someone can crack him with that left hook or maybe, you know, expose his spotty defense, I think... I think there's a lot of possibilities for Marab to get potentially knocked out, but he does have a really good chin. So it's going to be tough to beat this guy. Now, maybe it's Marab and his team or Cejudo and his age, probably both. But after that second round, Cejudo wasn't moving like he should have. And Marab got close and beat him to smithereens with his wrestling in the later rounds. This genuinely felt like bullying after the first round. And I couldn't do anything about it. And Iloki felt kind of sad. I'm not going to lie. I mean, at the end of the second round, Marab got Cejudo on somewhat deep of a choke. I mean, Joe Rogan's going crazy like he usually is, even though it wasn't that crazy. But while he's got him in this like squat position choke thing he's got going on, he's talking to Mark Zuckerberg in the crowd and smiling and laughing, not even focusing on Henry Cejudo. He's just like messing with him. And it's just, it's sad to see, because I actually like Cejudo, you know, and I'm not like the biggest fan of Marab. So, I mean, it was just kind of sad to see Marab destroy Henry Cejudo like this, and I did kind of call it, which is even sadder that I saw it coming and it's still sad. Or like in the, I completely forgot about this, in the third round, Marab picks up the Olympic gold medalist and former double champ Henry Cejudo, walks him over to Mark Zuckerberg. He has, Henry Cejudo completely picked up, walks him over to Mark Zuckerberg in the crowd and talks to him for the rest of the fight when he slams down Cejudo. And even worse, after this fight, Henry Cejudo retires. And what does the former double champ get for being a legend for all this? Nothing. No send off. No goodbye. Why? Because Marab took five minutes yapping on the mic about nothing important and wasting all the airtime for Cejudo's retirement after the fight. Just sadness all around. And Dana Damon Care, which I can't, you know, disagree. Henry Cejudo hasn't really been nice to the company. He did retire in his prime, which looking back at it now was a terrible decision. Just It was one of the worst career decisions in the UFC. Henry Cejudo retiring on his prime, thinking he's some star and that the UFC is going to beg for him to come back. And now he'll get some some massive payday, you know, that when he retires, the UFC is going to be begging for him to come back and give him a load of money to come back. But it never happened. So Cejudo comes back getting paid very little and losing his last two fights and honestly tarnishing his legacy. It was I'm just very I'm. I've always rooted for Henry Cejudo. I like his persona. I like the way he gets people talking. It's just sad to see him lose, you know? Maybe I'm one of the few people that think that, but Cejudo really made the biggest mistake of his career retiring, in air quotes, in his prime, holding out for money only to come back and lose his uh, gifted title shot to Sterling and then get embarrassed by Marab on a card where he got paid less than Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern was a fighter on this card. I'm pretty sure I talked about it in episode three, where... Mackenzie Dern is a fighter on the prelims. She came in on short notice, okay? She's on short notice, and she's in the prelims. Henry Cejudo is a former champ, double champ. He's on the main card and should be getting paid a lot more than Mackenzie Dern, who has never even fought for a title. But since 
California has uh, to publicly or is allowed to publicly give out the uh, pay amounts for each fighter. Henry Cejudo got paid 150000 Mackenzie Dern got paid 200000 I just got, you got a feel for Henry Cejudo, man. He really, I mean, you could tell, you know, he, he, when he retired, he thought he was some big star and then it hit him, you know, maybe he's not this big star. And then he comes back in and paid less than Mackenzie Dern. I mean, to be fair, 200K is a lot for Mackenzie Dern. So, I mean, I'll shout out to her, you know, <laughs> she kind of, she got a really good manager. Um, on to the last fight of the main card, Anthony Hernandez derailing the Roman Kopilov hype train. And while I don't think you ever heard my picks for this fight as Roman Kopilov came in on short notice for Ikram Aliskarov who pulled out, you're going to have to take my word on it when I say I picked Anthony Hernandez. This Hernandez guy, man, dominated Shabazian and now Kopilov. The pace this guy puts is crazy. He's the middleweight prime Colby Covington. He drowned Kopilov for dang near two rounds and then hit him with a, or no, he, don, he drowned Kopilov to a round two submission, my bad. Uh, where he got the rear naked choke. How have how Kevin Holland beat this guy is beyond me. I'm so excited for the future of both Hernandez and Kopilov, especially uh, Hernandez. But Kopilov looked good, you know? I mean, for the time Kopilov spent on the feet, he definitely showed he was the more skilled striker on the feet. I'll say that. But for Hernandez, give him Chris Curtis. Makes a lot of sense, and that should be a really interesting fight. Or... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> or Paul Craig. That's actually a really interesting fight, too. I think Chris Curtis makes the most sense, though, and that I've seen a lot of people talking about that one. So so Chris Curtis. Yeah, give him Chris Curtis. Both of those are fun fights, though. And uh, since this fight served as an entry for who should get uh, into the rankings, in my opinion, Kopilov's got to fight outside the rankings a little bit more. I don't know who he should fight, but um, there's a lot of interesting fights. Kapilov's just got to work on that ground game, but overall, he's got a really good, really strong striking game. He's got some really nice kicks and hands. On to the main fight of the prelims. Mackenzie Dern versus Amanda Lemos. Lemos won like I thought she would, beating up Dern on the feet, and, uh, sorry, beating up Dern on the feet badly to a close decision. Dern surprised me, though. I mean, she had better stand-up than before, that's for sure, and all respect goes to Turn for fighting this on short notice. Same goes to Kopilov, by the way. Give Lemos, I don't know, give Lemos Xiaonan when she loses to the Wei Li. And yes, I said when she loses to Wei Li, because I do not see Xiaonan beating Wei Li in UFC 300. I talked about that a little bit more on episode four, so go check that out if you have not seen it yet. And uh, for Dern, I think it's time you finally give her someone ranked lower. I mean, she already lost to... Jessica Andrade at 295, UFC 295. Um, yeah, Dern's got to fight down now. She's lost twice to up uh, fighters up the rankings. It's time, you know, Amanda Lemos, uh, or sorry, Mackenzie Dern fights down the rankings. You know, I like Amanda Lemos, but come on. Um, oh yeah, this is the last fight I wanted to talk about. Marcos Rogerio de Lima versus Junior Tafa. How a former heavyweight kickboxer who was ranked in Junior Tafa can't check leg kicks is beyond me. I really wanted Junior Tafa to win this, especially since he came in on a, on a day's notice for his brother, which is super admirable. Respect to Junior for taking the fight on a day's notice, but I mean, he lost in pretty dominant fashion. De Lima's leg kicks doesn't even, he doesn't even have that great leg kicks if I remember correctly, but he just chew up, he just chewed up Junior Tafa and it was, it was a lot. <laughs> Go watch that fight, I guess. It was, it was a pretty brutal finish. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Give De Lima maybe a Romanov? 
Yeah, no. I give DeLima a Romanov, and that makes a lot of sense. I really like to see that fight. He lost to Derek Lewis, who is the number 11 ranked contender, if I remember correctly. So I don't think it's ready to shoot him up that quickly. But yeah, give him a Romanov. Give him Alexander Romanov. That that makes a lot of sense. And Tafa, give him someone outside the rankings. UFC main event got announced after this fight, and nobody cared. It was kind of sad. I'm not going to lie, because Dana White just tried to sneak this in. Jamal Hill versus Alex Pereira. <sighs> Why, Dana? You hyped this fight up. He said he was gonna, it was going to break the internet. He said, and I quote, this fight is going to break the internet. He was talking about making documentaries for the stuff they're pulling off in the back, in the backgrounds, you know, and then he, Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill is a great fight. And overall, this is a great card, but Dana White's got a problem with overhyping his fights. You know, I mean, it's just, he's setting people's expectations so high. People were expecting like a McGregor Khabib too. I mean, the way he was talking, that was like the only thing that would have blown my mind. You know, if Khabib came back, I would have been like, okay, Dana, you cooked. That blew my mind. But no, he's just like, he's hyping up these fights. And I don't, and it's pretty obvious that when Dana White said this, he didn't really have a fight lined up. He was scrambling. And it was pretty obvious this was meant to be the UFC headliner for 301 in Brazil. But they kind of just scooted it over here because they needed something, you know? They needed something big for a main event. Good card. I'll talk about the whole card and the rest of the fights I didn't uh, announce or I didn't make a prediction yet as they were announced before I made my prediction in the next episode. It's been great talking with you all. Have a great day. MMA Cage Talk Ben Bartels is out.